Hello and welcome to episode 373 of The Crate and Crowbar. It is the 18th of June 2021, which I think, as you'll all agree, is the perfect time to join me, Chris Thurston. <laughs> me, Tom Senior. <laughs> nice. And Marsh Davis. To discuss E3, an event that ended a week ago. I don't know at this point. I've got a little plastic lion cup full of rum and I'm willing to pretend this is news. <laughs> yeah. It's a testament to what a year it's been that like thousands of games industry veterans actually wished they could physically attend D3 in person, like in actual LA, the, the mm. worst city on earth. Um, <laughs> but we didn't. We didn't get to do that. We get We got to watch it. So it's all a series of uh, online showcases, which E3 has kind of been, I think for most people, that's what it is, has been for years mm. now right. anyway. Yeah, yeah. So uh, what was really, what was really lost, apart from obviously everyone getting drunk together and sort of like, you know, uh, probably to start games companies together or whatever happens behind those doors. This is the, 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 the professional whooper industry has been hit extraordinarily. <laughs> yeah, that's this. right. Yeah. And I think we should, Devastated. you know, well, you say that, but I mean, uh, Twitch chat more than made up for the obnoxious uh, whooping. Uh, did you, did you catch any of the, uh, the Twitch chat controversy, which extended across nearly every conference? I did uh, not actually. No, I mean, well, I mean, the, the long and the short of it is that it wasn't moderated properly. Um, and the best case scenario for nearly any of the conferences was that it got turned off really quickly. But uh, in the worst case, I think Squeenix uh, didn't manage to turn it off before the chat got spammed with what I've read described as hyper realistic among us cock ASCII art. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that was good. Um, uh, but uh, mostly it was just racist and horrible. Hmm. Uh, so bring back the whoopers what yeah. I say it's, um, so it's this thing of um, it's this thing of with these shows I have this I have run shows like this I have been on the other side of the fence from these things and I understand the kinds of things that go into making them run well and the things that can cause them to have all of these problems and that gives me like this sort of mixture of watching watching all these shows is always a mixture of kind of um vicarious terror i think that maybe takes me it makes me a little bit that i think puts a wall between me and the schadenfreude i might otherwise have experienced had i not <laughs> had that experience so something like a moderation issue i've seen exactly how some something like that can happen i don't think it's necessarily excusable in this the year 2021 at all honestly but it's exactly the same thing now that sort of fills me with um, visions of giant Among Us knobs floating into the way of my own professional success. So, you know, mm. yeah. Yeah, I did get the terror at some points. I mean, actually, most of it was, was totally canned, so there wasn't much terror to be had. Uh, but Summer Game Fest, uh, hosted by Jeff Keighley, always an unheimlich presence at the Versailles. <laughs> Did, uh, did provide some sort of fairly um, un seemingly unscripted weirdness. <laughs> Why was it live? I don't that's, know. He was that's just, a question I have. He didn't need to be on an, a, a stage in an empty soundstage. It was, it was very strange. He was presenting it as though he was at E3, but there was a conspicuous lack of whooping, for one thing. Uh, yeah, it was a peculiar, peculiar performance. 
Um, I felt, but it did it hmm. did bring my favorite moment of the entire show, which was uh, Giancarlo Esposito's uh, interview. Um, I forget he's, he's Gus Frang from uh, Breaking Bad, right? Yeah, and um, Moff Gideon from The Mandalorian as yes. well, and uh, the up and coming dictator from Far Cry Six, hence his appearance in this game related show. Uh, and the interview with him was uh, a strange sort of free associative discourse about his favorite dictators, <laughs> <laughs> uh, including the a fairly kind of niche pick of Nikolai Ceausescu, I think is how you pronounce it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, anyway. I thought that was wonderful. And I thought that for this reason, I really think that Giancarlo Esposito was definitely trying to give good interview in that moment. It's so easy when you when you're receiving softballs, I think it ha- it's it can be it can be good for the good for the overall piece if you bat them back pretty hard. And this started with, you know, I think uh Jeff Keeley saying, you know, how, you know, what's it like to to play this particular villain and he just pushed really back really hard on the idea that the dictator villain from Far Cry 6 is the villain. And you know, sort of occupying the character return. And it was kind of good, kind of yeah, like you know, one. plummy actor stuff. But it led into this strange aside about like Hitler's star sign and <laughs> the line, "My daughter hadn't even heard of Ceausescu," which is just one of the funniest things that's ever been said <laughs> at E3, taken out of context. <laughs> and you know, it, it was like all of the warmth of an actor who's maybe probably not like hugely into games themselves, legitimately trying to engage with the interview and not look down on it or anything like that. But their subject matter being some of the worst people that have ever existed and it was um it was it, it was Sorry. a really extraordinary you mean weezer obviously yeah <laughs> um and also just the fact that um this is against the backdrop of i think um the eternal back and forth of whether these games are necessarily political and i feel like mm. i feel like um it's not that this put some stones at either end of that particular seesaw it's enough to say uh Giancarlo Esposito didn't help. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there are a few other weird moments of this conference, like Weezer playing some terrible track from one of their terrible albums. Um, and uh, Deviation Games turned up to tell everybody what good friends the founders were with each other, which was very sweet. I loved um, this. And I love many things about this. And I want to stop you before you continue. We've got a lot to get through, but it's important we pause here because... I know what it, you know, I think, I, you know, I said, there's a lot goes into making these shows happen. And sometimes you roll with the material that you've got. But I think those two nice men for, who'd made some games and are now making some more games, I suppose, but nothing to say or show. I think they got like best friend married, like <laughs> by Jeff Keeley on stage. And I think that's, that's lovely. The other thing I love about this is... This is one of the very few things in the Crate and Crumble we've ever had to record twice because the first time this happened, we got the name of the company wrong. And um, while looking for the the actual name of the company, uh, Marsh just typed the word friends <laughs> into our into our Discord that we use to coordinate the podcast. <laughs> you thought it was the search window. And so none of us but especially marsh really have the the power to criticize anyone including weezer <laughs> for the rest of this episode as far as I, it's not to say that it's not going to happen it's just that is now one of my favorite things about e3 and <laughs> that wouldn't have happened if those two nice men who i think maybe made a call of duty at one point didn't come on stage to announce nothing other than what good friends they are 
And I thought that was lovely. And I wish there was more of that at E3 in general. What a beautiful might, moment. I might like it as much as the 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 Giancarlo Esposito dictator chat, I'm just going to say. <laughs> well, I was going to move on to the Fall Guys near Automata Titbot skin next, which sort of sours <laughs> this, this sweet moment. Um, was that a thing that needed to be added to Fall Guys? Probably not. Um, should it's we talk a hot about lozenge. Some... <laughs> should we talk about some games <laughs> instead? <laughs> I mean, Fall Guys is a game, Marsh. Come on. Don't... Yeah. Um, Death Stranding got a director's cut. Are you excited about that, Tom? Are you excited to imagine what kinds of things were cut? How was the original not a flipping director's cut already? I mean, I don't. I, I love the game. I really do. I pretty much played it twice. I, 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 no, we can't have Snyder cuts done by Kojima. We we can't have that. It has to be prevented somehow. You can and you will. Ah, oh, you're right. <laughs> Nothing I could do about it. Um, yeah, Marsh, are you excited about this this prospect? Um, I think that may be an indulgence too far. I think you might be right. <laughs> um, there was, I think we should just blast through stuff reasonably quickly, if that's okay with you guys, because I know there's mm. there's an awful lot. There wasn't actually that much of note at the Summer Games Fest. Um, there was the Evil Dead game, which... Eh. Meh. Meh. Sure. Yeah. That's the sign of a chainsaw. Uh, there was Anacrusis, or the Anacrusis, rather, which is one of, which is interesting because it's one of a large number of Left for Dead style co-op shooters um, mm. that came out, that uh, promising to come out. Um, what do you think of this trend? Is this a good trend? Can you have too many Four Deads? Yeah. So the thing about uh, Left for Dead clones is like, why are they happening now? It's been out mm. for so long. Like, why the sudden rush of them from loads of different studios? Yeah, it is a, a strange one. Obviously, we'll probably move on to talk about the, the the most prominent one of these that got announced, which is Redfall, which is much later in a different show. But, you know, between this and Back for Blood, it does feel like a trend. And I don't know what it is that has sort of, like, changed in the ether that means that now is the time for mm. four-player kind of point-to-point -point survival, you know, blasting games like yeah just a, a a post to that it's a fun genre it's just it didn't feel like there was a trend and now there suddenly is one yeah this is i mean this e3 also seemed to be awash with uh a 2.5d sort of ori style platformers um <coughs> the next game i was going to talk about was planet of lana which is you know, mm. a pretty cute little blobby little protagonists and these really lush leafy vistas and blue skies and cute critters and then it's sort of the, the the mood changes and you get these sort of stark silhouetted monsters like the monsters from limbo who are like 90 percent mouth um part ghibli part gobbly you might say um, <laughs> <laughs> which is the only reason i included it on this list was just to say that really but i mean it is it is it is interesting that the uh, that also seems to have suddenly re-emerged as, as a big genre this year. Yeah, the next yeah. Metroid game is going to be one of those as well, isn't it? Mm, yeah. Mm. Literally a Metroid game. Mm. Right. Yeah, I would say I'd say Ori is, is a reasonable comparison here, but I think you, you said like Limbo felt like it had a big influence over mm. um, a lot of the games that were revealed and of this kind and that is a, again a great game and interesting but interesting to see its its influence suddenly kind of rear up you know and the only other game i think from summer game fest that was really worth talking about was the 
was uh, the big reveal, which was uh, Elden Ring. Can I'm I just sure say, you. I was so pleased that they got this, because I, I think when when there's a situation where the chat is only demanding one thing and it's this one thing, <laughs> not having it sucks, you know? It's not that it wouldn't be anyone's fault, because this thing's always at the whims of, of publishers and, you know, development status and all the rest of it. But I was just really glad for Jeff Keighley that he got to, you know, open this present for 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 everybody. Not that appeasing chat is the, the point of the show necessarily, obviously. Mm-hmm. But I was just I was just glad, happy for him, I think. Yeah. It was an exciting moment. I like uh, I like big reveals and I mean part of the reason I was a terrible journalist is because I really don't like uh leaks. Uh I don't mm. I think there's a there's a, a communal thrill in uh receiving something at the right time when it's ready to be shown and you know something long anticipated yeah suddenly emerging with such fanfare is a, is a really exciting moment that would only have been degraded had it been called a parceled out earlier um it's really good that uh, i'm glad that nothing came out and then when they did decide to show it properly it was actually in game recognizably in game footage oh, of, yeah. of, of this game that definitely really exists and looks like ready for me to play right now I'm surprised that it's actually, it feels quite, I mean, it's obviously very much in the Dark Souls lineage uh, rather than the, you know, the the Sekiro's or the the Bloodborne's. But I'm surprised that it is quite so bound to the sorts of imagery that we're very familiar with in Dark Souls rather Hmm. than being something which takes that and moves it in in a starkly different direction. I guess with George R. R. Martin being, you know, big fantasy beard boy, um, that probably wasn't going to happen but I, i'm do you think they're positioning it as a successor to dark souls rather than uh trying to s- spin off in some kind of new artistic direction it felt like it's it's connections to dark souls were so strong that i wouldn't be surprised if it has some sort of twist where it is connected right mm-hmm. like you know the the imagery is really similar there's a dark souls looking knight at one point um and obviously some of that is just, you know, from software house style, like Demon's Souls is not necessarily, you know, uh, directly linked despite having much of the same kind of iconography necessarily. Um, there are parts of it that gave me, you know, sort of vibes from the other games. It has a line, <clears throat> I rewatched the trailer before recording this, and it has a line in like massive grotty dressing gown men, which connects it to both Bloodborne and uh, Sekiro, I think. Um, like the particular way that that from software big dudes have like gribbly hair Mm. do you know what i mean like the big manes like hair that um, may be tendrils yeah exactly and like there's but there's you know there's um but one of those gribbly men in, in it shouts something like you a shitty boy would pretend to be a lord (laughs) and that felt there and and like, uh, <laughs> sorry, the the, the uh, expression in game is tarnished. And if they just replace that with shitty boy, it's pretty extraordinary. Look, look, this is the Trump software thing. You're always some kind of shitty boy. Okay? Yeah. You know, you, I mean, you know, actually, maybe that's more of the Dark Souls thing, right? Like, yeah. you're, you're always some kind of awful shitty boy and you're here to teach God how to be a king or something. Um, and there's a bit where a dragon looks a bit like Seath, I guess, has a lightning bolt that looks like it might have belonged to Gwyn, I guess. Who knows? Yeah. It, like, I think it's, I mean, it's nice enough that those games are sort of happy enough to be their own little mythology that those things don't have to be direct plot links, the, the kind that a coward might write. 
they can instead be sort of like inference and and you know uh a sort of shared symbolic language without direct kind of sort of pedantic connection but yeah it looked really nice there's a horse the horse can double jump what else do you want tom you excited very excited uh i agree it looks very much like dark souls but i'll play another dark souls oh yeah i'm ready i'm ready oh yeah that. Um, that observation was not tinged by any kind of disappointment it was just you know interesting <laughs> but um oh god i can't wait i can't wait it's february next year right january january fucking hell yeah yeah fucking hell indeed <laughs> sorry <laughs> so the things uh, so graham graham just replied in the chat when, when marsh wrote friends with just the only with just a question mark we're enjoying this live <laughs> we got i gotta start looking at chat it's distracting marsh it's vitally important that you don't give graham the context for this until he edits this podcast <laughs> Oh, sorry, good. Graham. Sorry, Graham. Sorry, Graham. Um, should we should we move on to one of the other shows, Marsh? Yes, Microsoft and Bethesda open with Starfield, showing no gameplay but some space Pointless. <laughs> I mean, okay. I, uh, looked a yeah. bit like Alien, I guess. The spaceship design—that's what I thought. Huh? Had a bit of like retro, sort of seventies sci-fi to it, like that. Show me that. I, I click like. Um, I have no other opinion. It's yeah. hard to say anything else. I, uh, there's The name sounds a bit like Garfield. There you go. <laughs> can, you, can you do anything with that? Probably not. <laughs> Stalker 2, Heart of Chernobyl. Perfect name for a dating game. I, I'm I'm well up for a, another Stalker game. I don't. There's been so many wrangles over the uh, the name of Stalker uh, now and the IP that I'm not quite sure what the lineage of the studio that's making this one is. Whether it does have any link back to the original developers, I believe it does because I think there's the likeness of one of the original developers appears in this uh, trailer. Um, it certainly captures kind of the the mood and the setting of Chernobyl of. Uh, uh, previous soccer games but uh, the combat looked incredibly stiff i thought very just walk into the room all the enemies are missing you l- laboriously turn your stiff gun to point at people click 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 it, just, it didn't didn't uh, didn't scintillate but maybe that's just because it's not finished <laughs> that was that was a previews worth of analysis in like 20 seconds and bravo to you <laughs> Do you have any feelings about this game, Tom? I really enjoyed the original, and the this one offers no further. No, it, it, it's crazy expectation. It might be a little bit like that, but who knows? Really, like uh, I like the, the idea of more Stalker. Um, I've enjoyed playing through the Metro series just as a kind of uh, Stalker light version of that. But I, I don't know if this will be like as sort of survivalist as um, Stalker felt. That, that world really felt just kind of alien and the combat in that was stiff as well but the whole uh, just be able to walk into an area and have it like try to kill you with this awful white noise happening and an anomaly nearby of things just floating and lightning something around like that that kind of bit of horrible horrible radiation magic dark magic Mm -hmm. like stuff um 
that's what really made Stalker for me. So I, I don't know until I've actually played the new one or seen more of it, whether I should get excited about it. I think um, it's tricky for these games now because Stalker is kind of a genre now, let's be real. Like, you know, um, that stretches many different directions, right? It goes into a kind of arcade era, more explicitly sci-fi direction in like Metro. And then, but like Tarkov owes it a huge debt, right? Like, even mm-hmm. though, you know, in, in the other direction. And um, I feel like it's hard to feel surprised by those environments and those things now, right? And so, and given that the first talker is such a journey into the unknown, I'm not quite sure how they, they recreate that. It's kind of exciting. Like, I thought it looked great. Like there's just visually in the sense of place, mm. etc., was really, really extraordinary. But I think that's one of the big, like, you know, um, for people who love that game, um, I, I suspect a lot of that was, you know, I suspect a lot of that environment is bound up in the experience of experiencing it for the first time through Stalker and the particular way that it unfolds that environment to you and the particular way that it feels. And so I think one of the challenges facing it is like, like zone games are just a thing now right like you know or roadside picnic games are just a thing now and so like you know how do they recapture that beyond simply a a higher fidelity place to get you know yoinked into a gravity anomaly Mm. Hmm. yeah i did like the bit where you're throwing the the little nuts to to sort of tempt <laughs> whatever they are your your description of this game has been strangely kind of romantic i don't know if you picked <laughs> well, up you on set that. the tone <laughs> i know i did but i didn't know if i need to run with it so thanks as um back for blood i mean you've probably said all that you want to say about this on the on the back of actually having played it tom yeah um and like there's nothing particularly new again i don't know whether it's just coming from a background of having played loads and loads of Left 4 Dead, is that I really struggle to find new things to say about something that's so similar uh, on the mm-hmm. surface to that game. And I think like the success of those games is, uh, is so reliant on the sort of the tuning of the challenge and how repeatable that is. And it's also like a very resource-intensive genre. I think like in terms of the amount of levels level you have to create for the amount of time it takes players to blast through and then the limited number of, number of ways you actually have to make that environment dynamic or you know re- interesting on repeat playthroughs i think it takes more than just like monster makeup these days having gone back to left for dead I, I, I it's aged a lot actually like if you actually go through that game that the mm. combat's aged uh to the extent that it's not exciting anymore and that's more than just familiarity it's just that i think like you have to the world itself needs to be more dynamic or something needs to be more exciting about the place itself um, to actually make a Left 4 Dead style game in 2021 or 2022 actually stand out. But yeah, I don't, I don't know what you guys pulled from it um, based on just kind of its uh, showing so far. Given who's making it and the fact that they showed, I think for the first time at E3, the kind of Left 4 Dead style PvP mode, it kind of cemented it in my mind as like, okay, this is like an attempt at left for dead three really right mm-hmm. right and and i think in that context it kind of makes sense and i think this is something that i, I really noted as a theme at e3 generally this year beyond simply you know uh like horde co-op horde games was like a lot of things sort of a lot of sort of comfy genres from the sort of late to mid 
like noughties into maybe the early tens, um, returning with a with confidence. You know what I mean? Like oh, we weren't expecting you to 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 miss left for dead, but we're doing it again, right? When we're kind of going to really roll it out, and that would be something that I applied to several other games that are coming up actually. And um, so in that light, like I sort of found myself feeling like happy for really you know committed like left for dead pvp fans who've got a new game to play right like i i i, I work with one of those and, and that's a kind of nice thing to see you know when something like this when, it, when, it, when a very niche um experience like this gets kind of updated i guess yeah it's definitely more than nostalgia for me this type of this type of genre because it felt like unfinished business for the left dead it's like here's an amazing yeah. format a really good idea and it's something i poured hundreds of hours into with friends uh that has only has rarely been looked at um since so it's like i will probably mm. play every variation on this thing <laughs> until i find the one that <laughs> yeah. captures the magic yeah to say of all of them though uh i mean, back back for blood didn't seem the kind of most mechanically thrilling oh we'll, we'll get to them we'll get to those we'll get to those on we'll come back to them uh contraband uh is a new game from avalanche studios not much to see about it apart from pre-rendered trailer uh suggests it's on some tropical island but again that's also co-op it emphasized being a big open world co-op game obviously that's that's the the feature du jour i think um mm. do you have any feelings about this not about this specifically co-op open world games i'm all for though mm. <laughs> very excited to see more of those well in fact talking of which sea of thieves uh announced an update whereby it was going to uh combine itself with the pirates of the caribbean franchise Hmm. Find it, it's something really strange about uh there's it feels to me like there's such a weird lag between uh movie properties and the games that come out and think about avengers as well hmm. uh that it's, it's almost when this comes back it's like oh what that film series okay well i mean people cared about that maybe 10 years ago and johnny depp he's still cool right oh wait uh, <laughs> so yeah. you know mm. what, what's it doing? <laughs> uh, 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 Thematically, obviously, it's a good fit, but I mean, for the audience playing Sea of Thieves, as part of the Caribbean, really kind of maybe the I don't know. So really... here's the thing. Here's the thing. The, I agree, it's a good fit, and if you're working with Disney, fine. But think of things that Disney also owns, and imagine the trailer where the pirates have to go resurrect or or rescue some legendary dead pirate from the briny deep and it's not captain jack sparrow it's lechuck oh yeah the other pirate franchise disney now owns i presume because they own lucas mm. and man i thought that like after trying to figure out why this didn't sit well with me and i just made myself sad because i really want monkey island sea of thieves that would be fucking amazing and I think Pirates of the Caribbean is, is a really logical choice if I was to kind of switch out that emotional response for a practical one. Like, you know, um, and this will be related to other games as well. There is a, um, I was about to say a savviness to it, and then I realized that's like his catchphrase, isn't it? Fuck. But like, but, you know, the, the Sea of Thieves community has been using Pirates of the Caribbean memes as part of their like way of, you know, having fun on YouTube and communicating with each other forever. So officially incorporating this stuff or acknowledging it, it, it makes sense. The the heavy focus on Jack Sparrow, not played by Johnny Depp, but close enough, is super awkward. And like I think that part of it hasn't aged well. And I feel like that film franchise hasn't been 
like in the ground long enough for people to get nostalgic for it. I might be wrong. But like the last one wasn't that long ago. It doesn't feel like four or five years, I guess. And it seemed like that 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 series really outstayed its welcome by the time the films went away. So I just have a feeling kind of strange about it. And it's interesting because I went and talked to Pip about it and she's been sort of, you know, she's played so much Sea of Thieves and her interest has been waning anyway. And this otherwise looks like the biggest update it's had in a while, like big new monsters and encounters and things like that. But the fact that it's licensed, I think, has had the effect of making it feel a bit cheap. And that's a shame because these things aren't. <laughs> and like, you know, versus, for example, a big splashy expansion that was just wholly original or the perfect uh, combination of both worlds, the Monkey Island expansion, I wish they'd made, <laughs> basically. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's much better fit, I think, than Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. In that yeah. Monkey Island is actually a, a, a similarly comic uh, setting with uh, with a much more kind of parallel sense of humor to Sea of Thieves' own own humor, I think. Uh, whereas Pirates of the Caribbean, yeah. I just it's too slick, too uh, kind of blockbustery to really to have this this sort of slightly offbeat, off kilter ugliness of of Sea of Thieves sort of you know uh, grotesque cast and uh, sort of prankish nonsense that happens. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I, I thought it uh, bringing, bringing Johnny Depp, or the, even the specter of Johnny Depp, <laughs> into your game seems very ill-advised right now. Yeah. Um, I assume that was a decision that was made before his recent lawsuits. Oh, anyway. Well, yeah. My brain is, is absolutely fizzing with the Monkey Island tie-in ideas for Sea of Thieves. That's really <laughs> I mean? good. That's really good. I'm just like... Legend, legends could be flowing around the world of uh, the notorious Guybrush Threepwood and his fearsome boat, and there's a boss fight that you can unlock, and then it, Guybrush's uh, boat just immediately capsizes and sinks. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that, that's what he would do. <laughs> oh, that's good. Oh, good so just so add that. insults to the sword swings. Yes. See? As a premium remote pack or something. Oh, God ch- damn it. The Chuck's like, a as well. Yeah. Play the music together on and you're all your instruments. Buy stuff from Stan. Uh, yeah. Also capsizes. Yeah. <laughs> Good. <laughs> anyway. I think maybe the purpose of a lot of trailers um, like this is to sort of uh, encourage the audience to think of uh, imagining their own minds, a thing that they would like, and then attach that to the product. <laughs> Obviously not in this particular case, because I'd, I'd probably... We've imagined something to care about. Yeah, we've imagined yeah. <laughs> come in with a completely different franchise. Anyway, is there, is there more war? Uh, mm. We haven't had much war yet. Well, here's one for you. Battlefield 2042, colon, LeChuck's Revenge. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> Honestly, you know what? I thought this was the best trailer of the entire thing. I was excited because it reminded me of Battlefield 3. And that's the last time I had loads of fun with Battlefield. Yeah. It's kind of near future setting. And uh, it's going to be multiplayer only, I believe, initially. And I'm fine with that, to be honest. Um, I'll, I'll happily pay for that game, I think. Yeah. I was genuinely excited by it. And like speaking of savviness, I thought, you know, I thought both trailers, but particularly the announcement trailer, um, even as, as all over the place as it is, did a really effective job of like expressing what's cool about Battlefield in this sort of slow build kind of exciting way, while also having all of these very specific nods to specific Battlefield, not just sort of the sorts of things happen in Battlefield, but in, in one very specific case, a specific video. The kind of render zook jumping out of the mm. plane to fire yeah. a bazooka thing 
that's um, actually what happens. Like, uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's that conversation with the audience where it's like, yeah, really dumb stuff happens in the battlefield, and seeing it realized as part of a very expensive trader for the next thing is just like a, a nod, of like, right? Yeah, we got you, and that's, we got you. And I appreciate it. it's very kind of like journey inside the baseball for me to kind of praise it as marketing, despite mm. obviously knowing that I, it made me excited about the game, which is success as marketing, but also like I felt like um, because dice, I think, are very good at these sort of very um, cold stylish feeling environments and places and trailers and things and there's a there's a real sense of style to it and it's, there's a sense of craft to it particularly and like mm. obviously the the quality of the 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 animation and so on but also particularly like the, the audio mastering on the trailer is fucking amazing and i appreciate uh-huh. this is like yeah. some something now where i'm like that's what i notice is like holy shit this is loud and but is you know make, it feels right um but also like the juxtaposing that with this mounting silliness really, really worked for me in a way that it wouldn't have worked if it had been openly silly from the beginning. And I'm someone who said for a long time that I missed the tone of Bad Company when Battlefield mm. was a little bit more like an episode of the A-Team and it was a little bit sillier. But actually, I'm kind of here for this weird mixing of styles where it's this combination of like serious military shooter and like Motley Crue is playing in the background and like a man is just ramped a little ATV off the top of a, a skyscraper to, to knock out a helicopter. I, I really I, I really liked it. And, and it made me realize like, yeah, I'm definitely going to play this. I spent most of the last year playing big multiplayer games with my friends for really obvious reasons. And it's like, yep, yep, tick, mm. we'll play. Thank you. I, was, I thought the first trailer didn't didn't quite hit it off for me for the exact same reasons that you said it was successful. <laughs> in, <laughs> in that, like, I feel like... Well, particularly the futuristic battlefields, uh, but very much this one has quite a sort of like fairly anodyne aesthetic vision of what the future or even future warfare should look like. Like oh, the tanks just look boring <laughs> is, is my main beef with it. They're just not very interesting. And uh, and then the trailer spends the next, I don't know, minute and a half or however long it is convincing you that it's actually a, the battlefield game that I want to play. Um and I feel like it could have done that from from the off. And so the, the second trailer, which starts in a very much more silly place, and you know you're you're um, grappling between skyscrapers as a as a tornado rips through the the buildings of this um, cityscape. I mean that's that, that that immediately appealed to me in a way in which the sort of like the the very serious bob 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 moment at the beginning of the the first trailer just didn't didn't land. Yeah. Me. 12 minutes is that all a... <laughs> that's a uh how do you even describe this like a recursive it's one of them uh, time loop games yeah it seems like you're <laughs> at home with your wife and willem defoe breaks in and uh, tells you <laughs> off i guess i don't know quite sure what happens um but it's really bad and then uh after 12 minutes everything resets and you obviously uh have uh, you can make different choices then in order to change how things play out. I suppose it's like the sort of larger scale 3D evolution of uh, games like Mask, yeah. which is beloved yeah. of this podcast, um, where you're basically a, a pachinko ball bouncing down these giant pachinko tree of possibilities and ending up in very different places. Um, I, like I don't that. know that I was mm. convinced by uh, any of the drama within it, but uh, the, the premise of it is certainly alluring. I like the idea of that structure being applied to a, a, a so purely social situation, though. Like mm-hmm. uh, the great thing about masks is that you could sort of 
theoretically type anything and you know just uh throw all social rules in the bin and then watch a simulation failed completely to keep up with what <laughs> you're doing <laughs> yeah but as a again like with um the the left for dead follow-ups it's an untapped idea uh to go mm. into a, a weird social situation and have that kind of gets replay that short but broad scenario over and over again and discover all the different ways it unfolds as an experimental structure, I, I like that idea. And I kind of want it to be popular so that other people will make this over and over again. <laughs> Short but broad scenario is my wrestling name. <laughs> <laughs> Psychonauts 2. It's a sequel. Look nice trailer. Look nice. Mm. Sorry, that was, yeah. Mm. yeah. Fallout 76. <laughs> and uh, Elder Scrolls Online. Uh, they're still alive. They're still going. Is that yep. good? I kind of... Th- I, I I really want to like Fallout 76 because I really like the setting. <laughs> like, it's, it's, it's probably... Mm. Most be- it's, it's really beautiful. Um, And it almost feels like they've created a platform that a good game might happen in. <laughs> so I'm happy for it to sort of stick around until perhaps someone tells me that, oh, it's good now, and now then I would try it. Um, Elder Scrolls Online, I mean, I'm like, I, I just don't have, I, I, I'm playing some Final Fantasy fourteen occasionally. Uh, I dipped back into WoW recently for some reason, um, just because it was there and wanted to sort of see those environments again. Man, same. Yeah, I don't know why. I just had a really overwhelming urge to do it. Maybe there's some weird bit of business marketing just got through to me. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, Elder Scrolls Online is at the bottom of my list. <laughs> Those things, mm. uh, frankly. And that's just the result of um, the launch and just the way it looked and the way it felt to play in its initial phase, which is uh, perhaps unfair because these um, games evolve enormously over the course of the years and it's been out for a long time now. Uh, but I, I, you have to show me something pretty special, like almost a 2.0 relaunch of the whole thing to get me interested in Elder Scrolls Online at this point. And I did not see that. Uh, Somerville uh, is in another one of the uh, 2.5D limbo likes, um, mm. but it's actually made by some of the by Jumpship Games, who are founded by some of the alumni of uh, Play Dead, who made uh, Inside and Limbo. Uh, mm. It seems kind of similarly stylish and yeah. atmospheric. Something about an alien invasion. You have a dog, um, and a family. And a family, but seemingly not for terribly long. <laughs> in the trailer. Uh, yeah. I'm sure that'll be fine. Halo Infinite. You know Are you excited what? by the uh, reappearance of Halo? I was. Yeah. yeah. Me too. I'm really yeah. I, like, I think the announcement that the multiplayer side is free um, is cool. Yeah. There you go. I said it. Like, uh, very good. God, I can't just go through this whole entire show reviewing the trailers. Thought the Halo 3 multiplayer trailer was also very good and expressed why Halo 3 multiplayer. I, I'm saying Halo 3 multiplayer because it looked like Halo 3. Halo mm. multiplayer um, has always been really good. And there was subsequently some stuff they put out, which I thought was, was really promising about how they're like structuring the business model and rethinking how battle passes work and things like that. That sounded Great. really cool. So the notion there is, um, I think it's a really good idea that um obviously each season has a battle pass but once you've bought the battle pass you have it forever there's no time limit on how long you have to complete it so but you can only be contributing progress to one battle pass at a time so 
if you if you don't quite finish the battle pass from six months ago that you didn't get the last reward in, you can just activate that one and go level that one up for a bit. And I think that's really yeah, that's uh, an interesting way of expanding, a pretty good way to to monetize a free to play game. And yeah, otherwise, I, I loved how um, how playful they're being with the physics of Halo. That seemed really cool, like using grenades to bounce weapons towards you to, you know, chop people up. That that's super cool. I mean, Halo's always had that stuff, but again, seeing it foregrounded is that little note note of like, you know, it's, it's again, it's the one of those powerful things you can do in in games marketing. I think is say, hey, we get why you like this, <laughs> rather than we'll show you a video that suggests we might not. Yeah, Which it's in, it was interesting it how many sort of acrobatic moments were shared between that and the Battlefield trailer. I thought, mm. uh, even down to like a you know a mid-air hijacking, um, it looked nice. It gave me a very strong sense memory of uh, being driven around in a warthog by Owen and then you know, <laughs> him driving us off a cliff into oblivion. I knew you were going to mention Owen for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because I've, I have really good memories of being in an, uh, a vehicle in Battlefield 3, I think, that Owen was driving. And we just drove around and around the map as you crashed into things. We just murdered, like, murdered people wholesale from through the windows of this truck. And uh, it was an extremely good time. <laughs> That nice. comp- again completely undermined the uh, the serious war setting that it was trying to <laughs> That's great. Mm. A plague tale colon requiem, uh, which I only wanted to mention <laughs> because there was a period in like the late nineties early two thousands where every game was, was subtitled requiem, requiem yeah, yeah. and they mm. seem to have given up on it. I'm glad to see it's come back. <laughs> Maybe we'll get origins as well at some point. You know, mm. big big spate of origin cycles but i'm sure it's going to be a good game play well. three requiemening <laughs> you can repeatedly requiem i guess it's always a mass for the dead uh is that what requiem is yes yeah mm. so yeah uh in, a, in <laughs> i was going to make fun of it because the plague tale implies some sort of ending of humanity anyway so a second requiem <laughs> would be a bit unnecessary and maybe this game will prove so too but that's the sort of that's based on nothing they've shown. It looks perfectly <laughs> fine. <laughs> it's probably quite a reasonably good game. <laughs> How about Slime Rancher 2? Yeah. I, I didn't, uh, I haven't encountered really the Slime Rancher franchise at all, but I know it is beloved, not least of Pip. Um, mm. I'm very just, excited about this one. Good to see it just sort of popping up in between like <laughs> Plague Tale Requiem <laughs> and the um, one we'll talk about next, Atomic Heart. And also, you know, it's just I'm glad that those games are still getting are getting increasingly actually I think uh, uh, equals billing with a lot of these other games. Um, yeah, which is lovely. Looks really uh, nice. Yeah, it looks great. Yeah, Atomic Heart does uh, also really wound me. I, mean, I, th- I think we've seen like an extended gameplay trailer uh, previously, which which didn't f- feel like. There was a big boss fight in it, and mm. uh, it looked like the boss fight was a right slog. <laughs> so mm. it sort of turned me off. But um, when it, this this trailer, which is incredibly quick cut, just shows you so many different lurid, exciting things. Yeah, it really feels like this this uh, Atomic Heart is the sort of inheritor of uh, the those sort of weird uh, single player. Uh, for the time, big budget games, uh, you know, the Bioshocks and the the, without necessarily being um, an immersive sim itself, but still like the the inheritor of that kind of, uh, what's the word I'm thinking of? High concept is the word I'm thinking of. Mm. Some sort of kind of, uh, you know, 
wacky high concept setting, probably involving some sort of animatronic uh, fairground environment. Um, yeah. Yeah, Feelings? really good trailer. Really good mm. trailer. Uh, good. God, and yeah, I agree that I, I, I was a little underwhelmed by some of the, the gameplay footage last year, I think, uh, as well. But the, yeah, the consistent inventiveness of those, like, just the character designs is really extraordinary. Yeah. That kind of, like, um, that's maybe what I mean, actually. Given that, like, um, sort of um, Eastern European slash sort of, like, kind of Russian nuclear horror is now a genre, this is maybe one of the first games in that sort of territory that has, um, that looks and feels substantially different to what what else has been done there. Mm. It's definitely the sort of game where I probably would put up with some shonky mechanics and overlong boss fights just to see everything. Mm. Uh, and there's not many games I, I have that instinct about, really. Um, so I'm excited for that. Yeah, spectacular design. Also with spectacular design, possibly my one of the games I was most excited to see, because I'd never seen it before, was Replaced, which again appears to be a 2.5D uh game not quite sure what mm. action or control is implied by the demo so i'm not quite sure what genre it's in but it's uh part pixel arts part voxel uh with obviously some depth uh beautiful animation ridiculously kind of luxurious lighting considering it's you know uh, mixing with pixel art it's got reflections and you know cool uh, volumetric fog and stuff like that um but the thing that that uh really um really excited me was this uh, uh, use of the camera which seems to be seemingly borrowed from martial arts cinematography i don't know if you, you spotted this but th- there's a there's a, a bit of fisticuffs at some point in the trailer uh and when when the character sort of dodges uh the blow the camera tilts as though it's anchored to the character's body which is mm. the thing you see in, like, for example, the Raid Two, mm-hmm. where you know somebody's head gets slapped into an oven top, and the camera sort of tracks it with this really abrupt forty-five degree rotate that sort of really sells the the motion and the impact. Um, I've never seen that in uh, a game before, and uh, it's I would never have thought to implement it in a two point five D pixel art game, side scrolling game. That seems like a very strange place to put it, but it, uh, but it was, it, it just stuck out as being, oh yeah, that's a really successful trick that nobody's ever tried before. Mm. I, I, I would shout out, um, yeah, I completely agree. Uh, that is so weird to see, and in a good way in this context, but it has worked incredibly well for Guilty Gear with their two point five D rendering, and the, they use sort of power moves that strike. Um, really the biggest moves because obviously they never want to interrupt the flow unless they re- really want to show you something cool that will uh, tilt the camera, freeze the frame, move it around 45 degrees just to uh, do that exact type of selling shot um, and that's using uh, Guilty Gear Strive is out now and in case I don't, if I forget to mention it later it's flipping amazing, it's so good such a, such a good piece of series um, yeah so it's great to see that actually moving into different 2D 2.5D formats like this yeah, it occurred to me. It never occurred to me to think that it might be a part of a fighting game, but obviously that makes much sense, more sense. Uh, yeah, I don't know exactly what the game is, but it appears to be a cyberpunk story about an AI trapped in a human body. Beyond that, don't know, but it looks fucking amazing. Well, yeah, definitely gorgeous. Also amazing looking Forza Horizon 5. Game of the show, game of E3 for me. Really? 
Yep. Wow. Wow. Absolutely. Oh, a... Uh, it's a it's a it's a big shout. But the reason is not so much the trader itself. It's the fact that I know that uh, having played Force of Horizon Four to death, like exactly how it's going to deliver on Mexico, and I'm so excited to just drive around mm. that, and crashing into stuff. And I know that there's sort of the variety of terrain that uh, that that setting provides, and how beautiful it will be, um, and also how accessible the, the Horizon series is as a, a a way into racing games. I think that's it's going to be one to really play, even if you don't really think you like racing games yet forza horizon as a series is a really good place to start because it has this really fun arcadey feel that gets has a really great driving model underneath it that you can dig into um so yeah i always go to that for horizon uh, and this is a great move for the series i think nice yeah i mean i'm excited to play it I, I i like the horizon games um and it does look incredible i have to say even though i am excited for the game independently of this all the stuff they were telling us about how uh, attentively they'd rendered all the cacti, it feels a little wasted on a car game. Oh, like, yeah. <laughs> I just, I, they were telling us all this stuff about, you know, how they, uh, you know, photogrammetry or whatever. And uh, I want to get out of the car. I want to I wanna poke around and get into the dirt, roll around a bit, get stung by a scorpion, that kind of stuff. But, um, <laughs> can't do that if you're a car, I love you? it that they sort of... <laughs> <laughs> they applied all of the kind of car tech to just yours, uh, your avatar's flaccid human body in an <laughs> environment that's trying to kill it. So, uh, and also have you know obviously sponsored skin upgrades and uh, you know carefully licensed Nvidia uh, products to increase your hardiness in the very hot desert environments full of scorpions. They were very keen in their, and I think rightfully so, in their presentation to stress the beauty of the landscape you know, the country, its architecture and art and so on. And I'm not sure where in that they'd find time to be like, and be horrified by a scorpion in Forza Horizon 9. <laughs> you know, like... Also, like, a minute ago, folks, did I say Nivea or Nvidia? I think you said Nivea. We've got to leave it. I thought I was lost. I thought I was lost from over there. It's fine. I, I don't know which one you said. The recording will know. Um, yeah. I do look, yeah, exactly. Go to got to make sure Nivea broadcast is working. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And the last big game of the Microsoft conference was uh, Redfall, aka Left for Red. Nice. Uh, nice. Good, bad, pre-rendered? Yes. Pre-rendered. Yeah, yes. I mean, I I love Arcane slightly the way they sketch people this sort of slightly exaggerated increasingly colorful style so i thought the character designs were awesome no idea what the game is going to be like really um remind me of overwatch really for some reason so we were these really strong characters um that you can imagine the team growing and being added to in future with them um, more heroes and that kind of thing um but yeah i did i don't know what else to think about it except vampires are cool mm. i thought I got... it tended slightly more towards like uh slightly scooby-doo level horror than uh what you might expect from arcane based on their previous games mm. um but uh despite that i'm definitely down for any sort of it's open world right that was also one of the promises uh, I yeah i believe so I've, I've i've um pals working on it and so like there's there's uh, uh not that I, as in not in a way that means i know anything just that i'm sort of happy for for friends to get to announce uh, a cool thing particularly at the top mm. of a microsoft show 
Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I get what you mean about the kind of the, the, the way that the kind of ability kits sort of really closely define those characters. I'm really interested to see what Arcane do with that formula because I think, you know, um, in addition to art, like, I think it's they've, they've got a proven track record of blending interesting magical powers into first person combat in a really interesting way. Yep. And the trailer kind of gestured that a little bit, but not in a way that you could really attach to gameplay. So I'm really excited to see what exactly that means. Because um, I, I, I trust them to do something cool with that, basically. Yeah. Um, more so than just, hey, this character can jump pretty high or, or whatever, you know, form. Right. I mean, they're, they're presumably going to bring over some of the sort of uh, acrobatic affordances that you saw in Dishonored, mm. I would imagine. Um, and and yeah, like just the the promise of being co-op, open world, and with those sorts of um, movement skills you see from those games, that's that seems like an exciting premise, regardless of what genre they sort of layer over the top of it. Yeah, um, I'm into it. Yeah, for sure. This was a and really that... strong show for Microsoft. I thought it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It really was really really strong. And also, um, I don't normally get excited about subscriptions. You know. Um, streaming services this isn't a streaming service but the game pass is flipping great now like it's really yeah. really 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 strong um in a way so i got a new pc the other week finally um and sign up to game pass and it there's so much good stuff on there already um and the fact that they're sort of committed to bringing a lot of these games to game pass and a lot of these games are the sort of games where it's even better than a demo you sort of like you can flutter with it for a month if you like it mm. If the game thrives, keep on playing it or just leave it in the library. You know, it's just uh, when, you know, the long promised executive hope that games will become a Netflix style subscription service uh, that's been uh, met with good reason with cynicism. I think this is again, the Gate Pass at the moment is an example of it might be about to work really, really well. Yeah. Which is awesome, actually, I think. We'll see. <laughs> what do you think, Marsh? I, I I just don't uh, have trust in the incentives that are created by these monopolies for mm. the good value to be retained and for it not ultimately to choke uh, developers who are outside of that uh, that ecosystem and ultimately once they have a stable base of subscribers, there's no longer the incentive for them to provide the the games at the sort of pace that they're currently cramming them in or the i mean we've seen that to some extent with uh, the the video subscription model you know I, I feel like netflix isn't what it used to be uh, in a lot of ways the, the i don't know m maybe i'm wrong I mean, there's certainly a, a greater breadth of programming on netflix than there was but uh, <laughs> i do sense that maybe the the quality of that programming has nosedived do you mm. feel the same way i think that's yeah i I, th I think they're still producing prestige stuff, but I think what Netflix as a platform is allowed to happen is for lots of very niche uh, ideas to be pursued with a lot of more money than would otherwise potentially happen in uh, other services. So the fact that like Castlevania has a TV series on there mm. and people absolutely love it. It's fucking great is why. Yeah, I'm, I'm on I'm up, uh, towards the end of season two and I'm really into it now. Um, mm. uh, so the, the first season is kind of like good hacker slash vampire stuff but actually really, really good characters in it and really, yeah. uh, really good stuff. Uh, and that I don't see many other, that happening on many other services, to be honest. Um, and it's interesting that Netflix are kind of thinking about moving into gaming because they've experimented mm. in lots of different ways with games as a subject, uh, not least with 
Um, wasn't Charlie Brooker's multiple choice uh, drama on there? Uh, yeah. That's also quite, um, you know, uh, gaming literate. And they're also, like, The Witcher is a series. I really enjoyed that Witch series. thought it was really well produced. thought Henry, Henry Cavill was great. Uh, that was Netflix, wasn't it? It um, was, yeah. Season two coming out. So the way they've picked up video game, uh, video games and based dramas on them. And, uh, admittedly, the, the Witch series, was, they say, was based on the books. But I think, like, the reason that gets commissioned and made is because of the huge popularity of The Witcher uh, 3. As a, as and a there's a close relationship there now anyway, I think, because CD Projekt yeah. owned the 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 whole enterprise i believe so right yeah, yeah. right um so yeah that i don't see it's very hard to draw parallels with this, with um between like a, a, te- a tv and movie service and uh, a game pass like this i do agree that like i do wonder where the return comes to developers from this because in games pass game pass you can choose to buy the game and own it forever but that creates interesting incentives doesn't it like uh there's Almost never a reason to do that, I've found, <laughs> based on, mm. uh, especially if a game like The Outer Worlds or something like that, it's a game that's 12 hours and you might really enjoy. Um, how much, you know, is that a good deal for a developer who makes that type of game? Or is this just another incentive to create uh, living games like Warframe or something like that that gets updated constantly with season passes and stuff that actually keeps people uh, coming back for more and potentially wanting to spend more? I don't know. How many different uh, game subscription services do you think you would be able to stomach subscribing to? Two. <laughs> That's plugged out of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> I've absolutely plugged that. Uh, it, it, like I say something like one or two, but then if it was if a game, oh, it's Company of Heroes three to pull a, a series that I love out, out of thin air. If that was tied to a different platform i would download that as well to be honest mm. uh so it, it could be any number uh, and I, i'm already in that situation with um just game stores and browsers i've got them all pinned i've got xbox here mm. ea here i've got epic game stores here obviously i've got uh, steam um ubisoft service it's called ubisoft connect now i think instead of Uplay. play mm. uh, i've already got a huge list of these things that i boot up already and i can't see there being much of a difference between just logging into one given subscription service oh. over another I was thinking of just a purely economic basis. Like, I mean, there's a there's probably a, a top mm. to the number of video, um, you know, entertainment products I, I wish to subscribe to, and I, I already hit my limit with uh, like film and television subs. I think probably, um, but those are things which are much more kind of easily communally shared amongst people in your household than mm. uh, video games are. I wonder if there is a lower number of whether you, whether essentially you throw your lot in with uh, one or the other. Assuming that you're not, you know, just made of money. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't know. Should we move on to some other conferences? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Uh, I only watched two others, uh, so I've only listed two others. I think some other stuff happened, but it uh, will probably <laughs> skip over. <laughs> well, I think it. I think the main thing we'll end up missing is Nintendo, and all I will say to that is Breath of the Wild Two looks really nice, and so does the Metroid thing. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> I agree. Uh, the Ubisoft conference, the the I think the thing I was most excited about from that was the Rainbow Six Extraction, um, mm. which uh, yeah, I think Tom Francis said was left six dead. Haha. <laughs> um, <laughs> which is, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, it, it appears to be a, a horde survival slash infiltration thing. Uh, using the diverse classes of Rainbow Six and presumably some of the scenic destruction. Um, 
I thought, interestingly, the, the the enemy design was extraordinarily bland. It's really weird, wasn't it? And um, sorry, Cohen, yeah. I well, so. you know, it, it is weird because I mean, Ubisoft aren't short of excellent concept artists, and I'm sure they could have cooked some cooked up something uh, more ferocious or nightmarish than uh, these sort of just fairly uninteresting creatures. But I wonder if that was a, like a calculated aesthetic choice in order to not sort of push away people who who might play rainbow six but wouldn't necessarily play a horror game um i would think that there was quite a big crossover in that venn diagram so i wouldn't think there was that much hazard for that but they certainly steered away from it being too gribbly or, or gory um it the, the just the idea of combining rainbow six's uh characters and destruction with a sort of left for dead sort of horde in thing does sound very tempting to me i think that's a really good combo and mm. probably more exciting than uh mechanically for me than uh back for blood promises to be yeah there's a there seems to be an interesting thing with the enemies which sort of look like alien crash test dummies they often seem to be dormant until they're angered or until they're aware of your presence which might be a way of just like making extremely clear stealth and active combat states that mm. that allow um allow people to use the rainbow six gadgets and the fun kind of prep stage of the rainbow six contest in the context of the co-op left for dead style scenario so that you could use all your gadgets and do a really good stealth run where you kill all of the enemies before they even wake up and that's equally as valid as going in and just shooting everyone through walls and having a cool fun gun time um <laughs> Uh, but uh, yeah, I might be <laughs> assuming <laughs> assuming uh, too much based on what they've shown. Um, the only other two things uh, from the Ubisoft conference was just some more sights of Far Cry 6 and uh, the first uh, glimpse of Avatar, Frontiers of Pandora. This is the thing um, I saw. Yeah. Um, I'm not <laughs> terribly into the Avatar franchise. I can't imagine that many people are but um it looked pretty i guess this is the thing uh, you know <laughs> no one uh, no one knows what became of the cultural impact or lack of of avatar right <laughs> like that is just a mystery that we're not allowed to know the answer to i assume like where did it come from where did it go um the, the cotton eye logic <laughs> and um and yeah in that trailer it did kind of remind me, like, one, I think how... It was a couple of things. One, it's a, it's a really pretty setting for a game, and I think probably quite a good match for Ubisoft's ability to render these very vibrant open worlds. You know, in this case, a kind of alien, uh, you know, forest wilderness. And then it also reminded me of how I think um, maybe the new movie will come along and, and, and change this opinion. But, like, I have always found Avatar's world building to be... Um, I think it was pretty staggeringly naive at the time, and I don't think it's aged especially well. Mm. And so, um, I, you know, as analogies go for uh, imperial forces or colonialist forces rolling in and um, sort of mercilessly um, suppressing indigenous peoples, it's not subtle. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but actually, interestingly, part of me looking at it was like, this is so cartoonish and kind of over the top, but at the same time, maybe a video game is a better place for this than a film ever was. So I had this sort of strange realization coming through that of like, 
maybe Avatar should just always have been a video game, right? Like, um, and uh, in that case, this is good. He said with a real big question mark at the end. (laughs) I think even for, (laughs) even by the quality of video game standards, uh, the name Unobtainium for an awe is spectacularly bad and that's yeah. just one corner of that universe uh and obviously huge kind of colonialist overtones that made the first film kind of horrible and well, I mean, it's, it's heart in the right place though it, it wasn't siding with the colonialists yeah you know uh, here mm. they, yeah it, it was it was like it, it that's what i mean by naivety right mm-hmm. yes like yeah, it, it, it and it and it is yeah. it, it and i think that's the thing is that the film is a cartoon it's practically a disney cartoon you know, and like if you reinsert the music and the songs, you've you've just got Pocahontas. That's the mm. film it is, and so and that that doesn't solve its problems. <laughs> like yeah, uh, Pocahontas, a, a mech doesn't pull a knife, which is the thing that's <laughs> endlessly fascinating to me as a concept. Right, but, but broadly speaking, though, <laughs> like um... <laughs> no, stick down onto this one thing with the mech. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Apart from that one thing, yeah, it's the right. same, right? Yeah, there's a there's a cool raccoon. I can't remember anything else that happens in Pocahontas or Avatar. Um, but but yeah, so I think as I guess what I'm saying, like, who knows how they'll handle it, what kind of game it will be. It certainly it certainly is not going to be the most. Um, if it it's certainly not going to be the most sort of um, uh, stretched political metaphor that Ubisoft output in open world form, because as Giancarlo Esposito explained, um, a younger generation, many of them haven't even heard <laughs> of Chasescu. So, you know, what are they even going to do? And so, um, and so, yeah, uh, I, I, I was sort of taken by seeing it as a video game and going, oh, yeah, this actually kind of makes sense in this context. But who knows? Mm-hmm. It was, again, one of those trailers doesn't leave much to, to actually kind of root your kind of expectations in. It's weird this relationship it has with games because I remember when the, the film came out, there was a big sort of uh, hoo-ha in the game community sort of because, you know, the, the video game community is, is so desperate for approval from larger or older media, rather, um, that they were like, Oh, but it's got a character who who straps himself in and becomes a different person, an avatar, if you will. Look, senpai noticed us, sort of thing. And uh, now it is actually a video game in which you are, you know, playing the same characters. I wonder if I wonder if there'll be some sort of meta thing where you are playing a human who is playing. Uh, I forget what the, the the indigenous species is called. No, Navi, Navi, Smurfs. Oh, God, yes. Why Smurfs, do I remember yeah. this shit? <laughs> the fuck is wrong with me? I play as a Navi. They get to um, plug into dragons and ride them around. That seems like a thing you do in a video game. Mm-hmm. It's got that, I'll play it. Otherwise, I don't care. I want to be big Sigourney Weaver. <laughs> Fight a mech with a knife. The Screenix Conference. <laughs> uh, began with Guardians of the Galaxy, a.k.a. Gary Barlow's Space Crusade. <laughs> <laughs> did you think this landed because I I, I I came yeah. away from this feeling quite positive about it but graham hated it i think i think having played and quite liked until i stopped playing it forever the um avengers game hmm. i i kind of understand that like 
they have to not do they can't do the cinematic license the likenesses that's just a thing they're gonna have to do comics adaptations and i know for a fact people will get used to the fact that the star lord man doesn't look like chris pratt they'll just get used to it it'll be fine you know and that aside (laughs) i thought it was quite fun if they had used uh chris pratt he would very much look like the default character creator (laughs) churn out that you'd expect from a a game of this type anyway so it feels weird to complain about the lack of his likeness (laughs) Yeah, right. If anything, they added more characters. Yeah, it's his, not well, Thor. <laughs> yeah. It's not Chris Evans. I thought it was a strange choice to have uh, Star-Lord be the, uh, the, the the character you play in this because he has the least interesting of all the combat styles in it. He just sort of peppers things with bullets and that, that seems to be it. And then he has an ultimate attack, which is to pepper things with bullets. Uh, uh, mm, that, is not, that is 90% of video games, Mosh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i know but i i thought given that you have these other characters in in your group who are fighting alongside you i was expecting in fact, when i first saw it I, th- I thought it was going to be you know guardians for galaxy i thought it was going to be another co-op multiplayer game but mm. it uh but it isn't and you don't even get to switch between the uh, members of your guardian group clan whatever it is party um yeah <laughs> Uh, I was hoping for something a bit more like Final Fantasy XV, where you control Noctis as a main character, uh, but the other characters that you're with, um, for their special moves, you can sort of tell them to do those when they're powered up. But they also help you in sort of impromptu ways throughout the fight that makes makes them really Mm. fun to play alongside. So they'll suddenly help you with an attack or they'll set up a big combo for you. Um, and it really makes them seem as though they they have some autonomy, and, and the AI is pretty good, and it looks absolutely spectacular when it happens. You're rewarded with extra, extra experience when it happens, and um, that goes all about friends, <laughs> creating friendship, which is the theme of this podcast. And uh, uh, um, yeah, so, so I was kind of hoping that um, perhaps an unreasonable expectation was stuff to happen like that, where Groot would come in and sort of help you out, and maybe. Because they seem to be hanging around you all the time, right? Like, they seem to be around you, uh, Star-Lord. They do seem to attack independently, but you can also uh, direct individuals from your team to make an attack. So I think you can set up combos, Mm. but I think you may have to have an active role in it. Um, And maybe that stuff's on a time down, I couldn't quite tell. I did find it difficult. I I thought some of the vocal performances all existed within a pretty uh, similar sort of range uh, of pitches that all, all the male characters... Um, and when there was like extraneous sound going on, uh, like rain or just battle, I found it very difficult to pick out who the different characters were who were speaking, unless they said something which was, you know, especially evocative of their particular character. Um, which, yeah, seems like a mistake, but never mind. Which one of you is the raccoon? Shouts Marsh at the television. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> was it was it unfair to to dunk on Chris Pratt? I liked him in no, no. I mean, I mean, I mean, like you're right though that like if if they had, I mean, I guess I guess people, isn't it? Please. You know, it's always the challenge of making these games so that like those characters are now so embedded. A particular form of those characters is now so embedded in the public consciousness that people like inevitably revolt when they get a version that isn't exactly the one they know. Um, and I don't know how a game like this avoids it. In fact, I think Guardians of the Galaxy is in a better place than most to avoid it because it really centers around Star Lord. Right, people will accept a, a an off-brand Groot. I've always said that. Um, <laughs> an Aldi rocket, you know. I um, 
uh, a bootleg Drax. And um, <laughs> uh, uh, also my wrestling name. Um, <laughs> and so I think I think ultimately, like, that, that initial kind of aversion... Actually, when people pushed through it, I thought it was quite a fun trailer. It really reminded me of like Tales from the Borderlands and stuff like that, like that mm. same energy. Um, and it made me realize, I think, in turn, how much Borderlands owes to those sort of wackier elements of cosmic Marvel. But that's a slightly different kind of conversation. It did make me miss that Avengers game. Um, which yeah. Is, uh, uh, yeah, I really had a nice time with it for what, the bit I played. And then it seemed to just sort of gone extremely quiet for a long time i mean it's still on my playstation downloading patches so i assume <laughs> yeah me too it's there and like we could, we could talk about having gone away but all either of us need to do to play it is go and play it mm. but will but will you <laughs> no <laughs> me neither no i won't will you however play babylon's fall a game whose name i've written down but do not recall in any shape or form that rhymed in a nice way and Did that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember which one this was. Life is strange. True colours. Okay. Yeah, that looked nice. Did. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, Not boy. I'm just so desperate for us to get to the game from the end of the Sweenix conference <laughs> that, like, all of my other memories have gone. Oh, I a... will say that it was amusing to me that it positioned empathy as being a particular psychic power, <laughs> than a thing that people experience. If they Rather, know. a terrible burden, <laughs> or at least a, <laughs> yeah. a default part of consciousness. Uh, like um, that, that's that's my double-edged X-Man power, just <laughs> being sad because someone else is disappointed by anything. What, a, like you know, plugging into Cerebro to just pe- have people be a little bit you know, uh, upset by uh, a new video game trailer and feeling every inch of that. <laughs> Terrible. Well, should we do it then? I really want to talk about this. Yeah. I really want to talk about this. <laughs> Stranger of Paradise. Final Fantasy Origin. Uh, a man in a top man shirt starts on chaos outside in all bar one. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, it just... was really channeling some uh, basic early two thousands PS three charmlessness. I thought. I I honestly that was very kind, Marsha. <laughs> description. Charm is a circle. It, you can come all the way around. <laughs> I, I found, yeah. and like this is, it's, I, I so it's Team Ninja making a Final Fantasy brawler action game. I guess. Starring the three least inspired characters ever seen. Ever seen. Extraordinarily uninspired. So much so that it becomes a kind of art set in a location, I guess, um, featuring some things. And it is all a prequel, I believe, to Final Fantasy One. Which is crazy, <laughs> you know that yeah, the, like Weird. the actual like lovely cartoony little bubbly warriors of like Final Fantasy One, and I love this. It's like Final Fantasy was given to a Hollywood studio to adapt in two thousand and two, and it was given to the team that made like Van Helsing or something. You know what I mean? Like Hugh Jackman was in this, right? Just post X-Men. I don't know why that's on my mind. 
and it's incredible. It's the, it's it's strange combination of tastelessness and just absolute unfathomable stylistic choices, and a man saying that he is here to kill chaos over and over and over again in like a two minute trailer. So good, ten out of ten. Game of the show. Uh, to keep you updated on uh, YouTube's take on the trailer, so far, seven point two thousand upvotes, eight point two thousand downvotes. Mm. Split the community on YouTube. Wow. Yep. Uh, so it's it's why some people some people have found charm in this one. Um, like, it's it's yeah. there. It it is absolutely there. Um, Lead a comment. Five point three k upvotes. Something tells me this guy wants to kill chaos. <laughs> <laughs> Which which uh, speaks to the the main problem with the script of the trailer, which like a human being can't have probably interacted with. <laughs> well, I mean, how many stages of so approval throughout the whole process from it being written to going to editor and then go to voice actor and then going to the per- whoever cuts together the trailer? At what point does someone go? Tesla chaos lot, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> this is the thing, um, like. And then there's that bit where uh, uh, I've forgotten the name of the what's the name of the Final Fantasy One villain? Is it, what's the name? I want to say Garland. Yeah, Garland. Yeah, Garland. And like, you know, and this this lady voice cuts in to say, "There's a knight. He's missing. He was with you. His name was Garland." And then, and then, <laughs> dude McMahon yells, "I'm here to kill chaos." But maybe he is Garland. No. I am chaos. Good. <laughs> cool. Good. <laughs> Great. The fact that the two companions look like they're from different games. Like all three yeah, main characters cool. look like they're from different games. You have the edgy one from a skating game in the middle. You have a leather daddy from Final Fantasy 15, I guess. Mm. And like a pirate. Why are they why are they having an adventure together? But why not? And I think I think you hit on something really important, Tom, and I don't want to bang on about this wonderful game too much. Maybe that's not possible. It's that all of this is obviously intentional because it's a video that exists. And as far as I understand, short of things being generated by an AI, which this might have been, <laughs> that doesn't just happen. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, uh, uh, like, what does Stranger of Paradise mean? <laughs> You know, I mean, yeah. Marsh, you were saying you wanted, you wanted the word um, origins back. You got it, you got oh, it, yeah. buddy. <laughs> oh, they could have thrown in a requiem there as well. What is requiem of paradise? That would actually be a pretty good name. Hmm. I think it's like, the fact it's also it's, it's attached to Final Fantasy, which again, it's such a like little hater, extremely <laughs> lavish series yeah um and as much as you know that series is full of nonsense words for heaven and hell and it's all about sometimes ragnarok and it just picks and chooses from its <laughs> earthly mythology to create its, its creatures somehow this sort of is so empty <laughs> of all of that it's just weird to even like they didn't even put a chocobo in it <laughs> mm, or did they it. did i miss the chocobo well, that's the thing is it's totally joyless, but in a way that it manages to make me really happy, which is mm, a strange kind of combination of things yeah. to achieve, right? Like, because 
the notion of like a, a really heavily action based Final Fantasy game is by no means a terrible one. And like mm. Team Ninja is obviously one of the companies that, that can and should be making that. It's just, I don't get it. Like, the, and if one thing you can say for Final Fantasy is like they typically have pretty strikingly drawn protagonists, right? And there has never been a more naughty's dude than the dude what they drew and like i understand that in the game itself it's a little bit more of an rpg or it has those systems you can equip loads of different armor types like i've seen screenshots where that protagonist is dressed up in all sorts of crazy armor and it looks much more like a video game whereas the like the the the, the choice it's, and it's a choice i think unless an accident happened in a way that they can't like to have him just be wearing t a t-shirt chinos and gloves in the trailer <laughs> but but like the combination of a black t-shirt chinos and gloves makes you look like a murderer there's but and i guess he is because he is fighting a lot of like demon dogs by causing like big lollipop crystals to appear in their mouths before headbutting them to death but like not in the way that it really intended and like more than anything else i think maybe the thing that just twigged for me is he looks like he looks like the lead singer of a new metal band that has been like rotoscoped into this game <laughs> <laughs> in like a promo kind of way right like it's a music video or maybe like he was like you know pre-order dlc because their song plays over the credits or something it's so good it's so good you know what it reminds me of is i got there was like a period i don't know if this came to pc but when i was working on on edge we got a lot of these uh sort of games on on ps3 which were japanese made games in the sort of wake of gears um mm. which were explicitly made by japanese developers but for the western market and their only value was as an indictment of how we are seen by other nations <laughs> as, as i could tell they were all incredibly gray and uh and grim gun metal games where you know, the characters were just either meat men or just your your bargain basic top shot boy um and it just yeah quantum theory was the name of one of those games i remember it was it was so terrible that uh it's like a support group of journalists formed <laughs> amongst those who had to review it um strong quantum theory vibes from this <laughs> apparently Oh, I, this is, I found the best way. I found the best page on the internet. So I was trying to find out what the character's name is. The generic. Can, do you guys know? If you don't know, do you want to guess? Bath knife sword. <laughs> Man. All right. Tom's gone with Final Fantasy. Marsh? Um, I think he's uh, James. Going with James. Jack. His name is Jack. <laughs> yes. I knew it was yes. going to be something basic. <laughs> but, but this is my favorite. This might be the best thing I've ever seen on the internet his he has he already has a wiki page on the final official final fantasy wiki right massive fandom wikia page right um he gets two sentences in his entire bio this is this is it and it is perfect jack is a character from stranger of paradise final fantasy origin his goal is to kill chaos <laughs> and and the kill chaos has a citation footnote and if you click that, it takes you to the trailer, which is all the citation you need <laughs> for this point. The, his, it, the full, um, the full body, like, art for this character does reveal that his t-shirt is actually, like, part tunic. It kind of becomes 
like slightly dress like on the left when it's untucked, but he is otherwise wearing chinos. So um just uh spectacular, honestly. Oh, it does this remind me so much of Dark Sector by Digital Extremes before oh, they yeah. make Warframe. Mm. Oh, the whole... that, that, that's exactly around the quantum theory time. You've really hit the... It's the whole colour palette as well. Just yeah. blue-grey. I don't... Yeah, it was a whole a whole thing. Thank God that ended. What was the name of the, the main character? Was it Jack? I've got to find out. Hayden! Cool. <laughs> nice. I'm now looking into every aspect of this. The actor who <laughs> plays Jack um, previously played um, Big Locomotive in The Little Engine That Could. No. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, he was actually in Tony Hawk's Proving Ground. The energy—it's really there. Oh, wow, like, gosh! Incredible, incredible. You shouldn't let me Google things while we're recording a podcast, but this has all been very exciting. You folks going to play this one? Also, no. watch the Fallout. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm with you on that one. A pretty good E3, I thought, despite you know. Uh, Sony not having any kind of presence whatsoever. Weird choice that, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. The wrong one. <laughs> yeah, would did, uh, yeah I, would, I would agree completely. Uh, so, not it's been like a, an increasing like a flex among major developers. Not sure for E3, uh, but this time in this current situation, you, they might as well not exist to an audience if they don't show anything around the time that excitement is happening online for this. Mm-hmm. So it feels like they're just gone. It's not like they're biding their time and about to produce something brilliant or show a really cool new thing or a suite of new games. It just feels like they're not there. Yeah. That's just that, that the, the absence, it's like, it's worse than having a negative opinion about something. It's about, they're just not there. <laughs> not worthy of consideration, not part of the thought, not part of the, the discussion at all. And that's surely just the worst, from a marketing perspective, probably the worst thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> I had quite a good time with <laughs> the rest of it. Yeah, I, I enjoyed the rest of it. Um, you know, I thought... Uh, I've been basically thrown... Like, I, I can't really, like, go... I've got nowhere to go from where from I want to kill chaos now, to be honest. Mm. Um, so, if... What, what if was I, your game of the show, other than... Uh, Stranger in Paradise. Final Fantasy other Origin. than Stranger in Paradise. I keep, I keep going towards um, Thing of the show, and it was those two nice men who were good friends. <laughs> but... I mean, I guess Elden Ring is the game I'm legitimately most excited for. Um, but yeah. I'm really... Um... That was so expected that I'd be excited for it, though. Like, it kind of mm. doesn't count. Yeah. <laughs> I think... So, I think the two biggest surprises for me, and I, I, I'm, I struggled to pick between them, were Battlefield 2042 and Halo Infinite, which are both kind of boring picks because they both are so awfully, obviously like, hey, this looks like a prettier version of something I know I like. Mm. Um, but both of them... I think surprised me with the quality of their presentation. So there's that. I think in terms of like I'm intrigued by this, but I didn't feel like I saw enough to like really like put it on the map. I put Redfall in that category. Yeah. Like, you know, uh cool characters, really cool setting, bollocks things. I like vampires a lot, so that's nice. Um and but you know You big goth. I know. Look all I've done in the last year is slowly turn into like Dracula, but the what we do in the shadows sort of Dracula. Um <laughs> Uh, so that's a you know that's that's exciting in terms of something like wholly new that i find legitimately exciting on its own creative merits not because it's got the most incredible trailer that i've ever seen Mm. 
I think probably replaced in that mm. case out of mm. all of them for the reasons that you outlined. I thought that really ex looks extraordinary. No idea what it is, what happens when I push a button, but it looked amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Tom, other than uh, Horizon 5? Uh, I agree with um, Battlefield, actually. Um, it's something about it that really kind of rekindled my excitement for the series. And mm. I've, I've, I've really tried to get into the last few, actually. And um, I've, I sort of enjoy them. I kind of admire them as perfectly good games, but they just haven't kind of grabbed me. I think this one might. Um, and apart from that, uh, whatever Weezer decides to do next. <laughs> Who knows how that will go. Marsh? Yeah, well, sorry to be boring, but I have the same picks as you. I, I, after being slightly lukewarm on uh, the first trailer of Battlefield, like the as soon as a grappling hook came out in the second trailer, I was all the way in. And and same with Halo Infinite. Just I I know they are such known quantities uh, these these games. I, I uh, but I I'm definitely sold on them as a result. But uh, in terms of like surprises. Uh, replaced was uh, really blew me away because I mean partly because uh, it looks gorgeous, but it's also um, uh, a style I'm interested in in reproducing. You know, it's it's, it's mm. almost it's almost attainable. <laughs> um, not that I I could animate for shit, but um, yeah, I like pixel art and and Rainbow Six Extraction. I'll add that actually. I'm I'm interested to play that. <laughs> Quick um, dark sector update, by the way. I know we all keep to hear this. Uh, <laughs> somehow, the plot summary on Wikipedia has been deemed by moderators uh, that it may be too long or excessively detailed, and it's inquiring for moderators to cut it down. <laughs> Which, for a, for a game from that era, is, is remarkable. And it is a, it's a whole essay. Whoever uh, wrote the too-long summary of Dark Sector on Wikipedia, <laughs> I see you. I see you writing the new Final <laughs> Fantasy action game from Teen Ninja. <laughs> I think that's all the all the E three is it? We definitely it missed some stuff. I'm we, sure, oh, but you know, one hundred percent. And the stuff we did talk about, a lot of it could have been wrong. So <laughs> let's let's move on swiftly. This podcast is going to be a little bit different. It's so much E three to um, get wrong that we we don't we're not going to do questions this week. We're instead going to use the time that we normally do questions to do the thing we normally have done before this and talk a little bit about what we've been playing. Um, and we should start with you, Tom, because you have finally received a PC. Got my new PC. I ordered this in the first week of December 2020. I forgot what year it was then for a moment. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it's been a, a long time coming. Obviously, uh, people's global enthusiasm for cryptocurrency mining has put graphics cards in short supply. And... For a moment, to the extent for a moment, I thought, like, if one new PC arrives, could just sell the graphics card, pay for the PC. <laughs> uh, but such as my love is, uh, love of PC gaming and my inherent laziness, um, I've decided just to sort of keep it and boot it up and play loads and loads and loads of games um, for exactly 10 minutes before I get bored and try a different one. And this mm. is very much, this is the, uh, the, the kind of streaming service being overwhelmed by so much stuff. Uh, at once, it's like, oh, I'll, I want to, let's reinstall Couple of Heroes 1, Dawn of War 3, Hitman 1, and stuff that, like, has, has never run, like, satisfactorily on mobile PC that now would be absolutely silky smooth at, like, 144 frames a billionth of a second or whatever on a really nice new monitor. And um, I can confirm that 
video games are beautiful. <laughs> and mm. after 10 minutes of play, they are all as beautiful as each other <laughs> in some ways. Unless there's some like really egregiously kind of horrible thing about the sound or the, the visuals. Everything, like the every level of detail in a like a, a against artistically well directed, sort of just become becomes the norm uh, as you go into the universe. I don't know if you guys think this. Like, so I had this. Uh, I was like, oh, I'll play Metro because it's got fancy DLSS fast frame rate technology and it's got ray tracing and all the reflections will be beautiful. And the lighting will be beautiful, and it is. And then I find myself sort of walking around going, wow, look at. Oh, look at that light source! Ah, oh, mm, <laughs> that, that what a what a delicious puddle! Mm, very good, mm. very good. Uh, and then find myself actually completely utterly bored by the game after a, after sort of ten to twelve minute period, and being like, "Well, I love Metro. I love the kind of I love what it's about and the different kind of reclusive and insular gangs that you meet, societies that you meet in the Metro, how that how you get to sort of tour them." Um, really good mix of kind of monster combat and corridors and then suddenly going into a kind of a refugee habitat that looks incredible it's rendered with more detail than i've ever ever seen a settlement rendered mm. in and i'll look around and i'll sort of like soak it up and uh, that's just so well made and so beautiful and then i'll go back into the monsters and um be like yeah i've um done all this so i'll stop playing immediately yeah so i boot up hitman 3 and i played the first level of that one which is set in a dubai skyscraper at the very top and it's absolutely gorgeous and there's a reason like that the james bond license is so good for this developer because Mm. the hitman games have been james bond games for a while i'll be much smarter than james bond deserves i think (laughs) as a as a franchise but in terms of actually just fashion and uh, James Bond's vision of high society and what it looks like for a character like Bond to go and interact with that. I think like 47 and his amazing suit and the way he goes into parties. And this was true of, I think, even the first Hitman reboot game where, or was it the second one, where you go into like a fashion show uh, in a, a Parisian manner, I think. And mm. the whole style of the thing is just absolutely beautiful and pristine. Uh, but then... I got annoyed by uh, clambering prompts <laughs> and how inconsistently they were applied. It's one button does everything for climbing and also, uh, you know, dropping down from ledges and that kind of stuff. And sometimes it's inconsistent. And I got irritated by that. And I've just find myself like going down the tunnel, trying to find the game of least resistance. Uh, and like for all of these, it ended up being, um, Warframe, (laughs) (laughs) which is, I kind of, if I was just ask myself the question, if of all of these dozens and dozens of games that you've got to try on a brand new machine, which is the one do you think you would kind of rest with and really enjoy? I I would have liked to have thought it would be a game like Hitman that was beautiful, immersive sim, beautifully designed sort of puzzle box levels, uh, Mm. just a really exceptional like Hitman one, two, and three together as a package it's just that's hundreds and hundreds of hours of just amazing immersive sim playground fun but but i end up playing warframe guys and i wonder like <laughs> <laughs> i wonder like have i just become uh, am i just a less imaginative player because dishonored 2 is on this list as well 
a game that ran terribly on my old PC. It's absolutely gorgeous on the new one. Looks incredible. And just the amount of imagination that has gone into the design of just the architecture and the color palette of every level. Um, and that's even before you, you look at the way the levels are constructed. Um, uh, that should be, why, why is that not exciting me? Why am I not like able to get into that now? Why is it the kind of five minute plow <laughs> through a whirlpool <laughs> get to the other end and earn some, earn some experience game, um, Warframe, actually the one I've alighted on. And um, I kind of want to blame lockdown, <laughs> but yeah. is it that, or is it that the way I've associate games with downtime has changed like in the way that mm. I would formerly, uh, even a few years ago, just want to play a kind of a really fun, gritty, skirmish game against like the hardest AI and complete heroes and really enjoy that and get something out of it and have the energy to do that. Uh, that seems to have gone away a bit. And um, I wondered if you guys have experienced similar with your gaming habits. 100%. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Like I got my new PC in February, ordered, I think in, in November or something. So a similar, not quite as long, actually not as long a wait, but similar process of having to wait as it ran the gauntlet of crypto nerds and hmm. um, gauntlet of the crypto nerd, my roguelike coming. <laughs> no, uh, the, um, uh, and, um, you know, all I have done with it since is play half of cyberpunk half of resi village uh a shitload of monster train uh, a little bit of destiny and then just a bucket of sort of you know uh war zone and and sort of assorted kind of like bottomless grind short session multiplayer competitive games that i can just sort of fall face down into and make a fun burbly noise with my mouth in. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nothing in that statement I disagree with. <laughs> um, love to do that. And uh, <laughs> this, is so, this is so lame. I actually like, uh, it's actually a brilliant program called Wallpaper Engine on Steam, uh, which is, as you said, animated backgrounds. I just played with that for mm. half an hour. <laughs> just like it, loads of cool, fun, uh, settings you could download with different uh, moving images and you can change the color palettes you can change you know how all the particle effects work um, and I've gotten more out of that than a lot of games recently <laughs> <laughs> which is I, I don't mean this to be an indictment of games or to suggest that I've fallen out of love with games so apparently I have a bit based on everything I've just said um, I, th I think it's more that the role they play in life is evolves right like hmm. I found myself less able you know and, and I, I feel like we've been answering questions and asking ourselves questions about like, how does this relationship change in every possible permutation since we've been doing this podcast. Yeah. And, you know, part of it is time. You know, the, I think a lot about, uh, you know, part, to return to E3, like the fact that E3 this year had this, this year is the 10th anniversary of Skyrim. That hurt. <laughs> fuck you Bethesda for saying that like because that it's, it also means it's the 10th year of me getting into the games industry because Skyrim came out the month I started a PC gamer and um, and I remember like you know staying on your couch during the week Tom and then going back to uh, my parents house on the weekends basically just to play Skyrim right just because yeah. I, oh, that's all I wanted to do was like you know these vivid memories of like 
all right, pub after work on the Friday, then straight onto the train, then back to my parents' house, then play Skyrim from like Friday night until Sunday night, then back on the train so that I can crash on the couch in time to get to work on Monday. And like, that's just not how I consume games anymore. That's just, just don't, just don't do like that. And that's one of the reasons I haven't finished Cyberpunk yet and all these other things. And then the flip side of that is like, um, I sort of want need predictability from my uh, entertainment, but for some reason I am sort of pathologically incapable of just watching television like a normal person. So what I need is a game that affects some of the passivity of television, but with the additional kind of engagement and emotion that comes with the medium I like and prefer. And so that means I play loads of, you know, just sort of deck builders. And, and like I say, tons of, you know, multiplayer games where I could just play like a session or two and feel like I went on a little adventure and did something and then got out again. I have found though that like my MMO thing has, has definitely died off in the last couple of months, but I feel like it's not necessarily been replaced with something kind of worthier from a game sense. But a lot of this I attribute to just, um, you know, whatever kind of like ennui is inevitable this deep into such an unprecedented experience of uh, being stuck in a room. Basically. It's got to have an effect, Stuff. doesn't it? And it's, <laughs> yeah, it does. Yeah. It's, it's just, like, <laughs> it's got to have an effect. Like, it's like, yeah, it's like, what? Well, how do you, how does your relationship with games change as you get older, as your responsibilities change, and also as you're trapped in your house for a year and a half? Like, which of those, you know, all yeah, of these that, factors. That kicker is <laughs> yeah. pretty significant. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah I, just, I think it's not even like, I, I, I think I completely agree with you, particularly about requiring a predictable amount of entertainment from a thing each time I mm. choose to boot mm. it up or uh, do anything else. And maybe that's the kind of short-term uh, lovely sort of little food rewards that you get from something like Warframe or from a, another game like a Debt Builder where you can just do one run in 10 minutes is just perfectly tuned for that for that attitude. Cause you just, especially when time can be more and more easily interrupted. Mm. And so it has to be something like, like I could walk away from any minute which puts pay to a lot of mmo stuff and it puts pay to a lot of dishonored stuff and there's the stuff where i feel like if i want to get the most out of this game i'm just need to settle down for two hours for this and that's not life anymore mm -hmm. um and increasingly like terrible phrase increasingly few uh, fewer games deliver that compromise um and it's it's not uh, I don't know how games are supposed to adapt to that because obviously I'd love every game to do everything I want, but I, I would have like as uh, games age as a medium and as players kind of age, whether we'll see games that are sort of targeted at old, ancient, cr crusty, hollowing <laughs> people like us. I in a way. I feel like, I mean, in a way, I think the fact that we're having this conversation shows that the whole casual game conversation is completely dead. Like it's, mm. it's, it's absolutely dead. Yeah. Like any sort of kind of notion that those sorts of games weren't games didn't play a role has, has died as I think it's clear that those um, patterns and those sort of pleasures of slowly building something or simply engaging with something, you know, in order to kind of get a, a bit of feedback and kind of entertain yourself are just as valid as anything else because those sort of mechanics as they crop up in other games I like entertain me, you know? And I think there's something to be said for that. And yeah, like I, I'm sort of, um, 
I think it's a more than anything else. I think it's simply a sign that games are changing, and what people get out of games is changing. And like, it'll be interesting to see what the broader effect that this has because I don't think it's simply a certain generation aging out of the way that they used to play games or, or anything like that. Mm. I think it's also a testament to the way that the the role of games in people's lives is changing. And um, I don't. I mean, there's a there's a there's a there's a broader point to be made there, and I don't know if I kind of want to get too deep into it, but I would say that it's worth observing that, like, the install base for something like uh, Fortnite is absolutely, absolutely astronomically huge. <laughs> you mm. know what I mean? And yeah. that is not because that number of people want to play Battle Royale. Mm. It is because the these games play a role in people's lives that is pretty broad ranging. And because they provide lots of different levels of um, uh, engagement, people are able to scale those experiences to the kind of thing that they want. They're also fundamentally social and all these other things help them to kind of squeeze their way into uh, people's lives. And I think at the bottom of that is the, a very old notion about what games are, which is tied to the old kind of aversion to things like um, casual games is dying. The notion that games are necessarily about challenge is dying. The notion that games are something that should last a certain amount of time and you should complete it is dying. And not to say that it will die in the sense that these experiences will not be available to people that want them for the foreseeable future. But I, I do feel like you're seeing those concepts ebb and companies catch up with that idea at different speeds. And I find that really interesting. And I think... You know, the, the, and what that leaves you is this sense of games is instead as a kind of an accessible source of interactive entertainment that you can pick up and put down. And that's what Warframe is, right? That's, and that is, and that's the role that they've come to play in, 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 in life in very different circumstances. And yeah, I just find this whole thing kind of telling of a, of a particular way in which the medium as a whole, I think is, adapting variously quickly and slowly to a change in the way the games are being used and who is using them i find this fascinating in particularly single player open world games uh a lot of the kind of uh, so it's much as we or i malign uh, the tower system for ubisoft just because it's become so staid i think nonetheless like that is a really good way of chunking up a very big space into small mm. bits of time that you can allocate um so there are a set number of activities in a Ubisoft Assassin's Creed game. Uh, and the the latest Assassin's Creed games in particular, I think, have been excellent at generating a sense of expectation for each activity. Uh, so if there's kind of like a monster hunt, you know, you're going to go there and you're going to slay some boars and there might be a, a, a mini boss there and it'll take about 20 minutes. And you, the game is really good at teaching you that. And as much as it might feel boring to go through the tutorial bits of those games, which can last hours, um, you ultimately go ahead in Valhalla with a sense of here's what this escapade will take up in my life. And it's, mm -hmm. you've taught me this quietly without explicitly saying this is a 20-minute activity. Um, and maybe that's the way a lot of some, some of these games will move, especially this is interesting in the wake of something like Breath of the Wild, <laughs> right. which uh, is almost the opposite thing. It's sort of like go forth and experiment and find your own challenges and let them be as long as you want them to be. Um, and this reminds me a lot of what my partner has said about open world games she absolutely loves skyrim absolutely loves it i love it too it's brilliant i reinstalled it as part of uh you know tradition when you get a new pc to install skyrim uh subscribe to loads and loads of um 
mods for it in Steam Workshop. And then uh, when I booted it up, uh, in the intro sequences, you ride down into the first cutscene in uh, you're a prisoner in a horse-drawn carriage and uh, might immediately start doing somersaults sideways uh, to the point where it like went forward further than the cutscene anticipated. And then there was a physics interaction with the carriage in front, and that went into the sky. Um, and I was like, yeah, I- I'm home. This is PC gaming. This this is this is what I want. Uh, but but what my partner said was like uh, a complete lack of direction in the game. It's completely instantly off-putting to the extent that mm. it's just uh, it's like a blank page. And you're like, what am I supposed to do with this? Where is the fun? What am I supposed to do to engage with this thing? And Breath of the World is kind of like it requires a level of input creatively, I think, to unlock that game's potential. Whereas yeah. the more I play games, the less time I have to invest and kind of meet games like that halfway. Um, mm. So yeah, again, just sort of like musing on it really. I think this will come back on future podcasts as well um, as we sort of variously tackle with this. Yeah, right. And that got heavy from why am I playing Warframe? <laughs> well, that's what I asked myself. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like I, I, also, is that is that feeling that needs to justify time as well. It's like, oh, I have to have a reason for doing this as well, which is also, um, yeah, yeah, affects how a game feels to play. Indeed. They're good though, aren't they, games? <laughs> yeah, I could talk about a game I played that's good. Yeah. That. All right, shall I do that? So I've been playing a ton of Chivalry 2. It fits exactly in this category. I didn't oh, mention woo. it by name because, yeah. You made a noise then, Tom. I said, ah, oh, woo. Uh, okay, good. Uh, I wasn't sure if it was a kind of interjecting woo or a kind or, of a passive. I need help. Back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like a chair collapsing underneath you or something. Um, so I've been playing a ton of Chivalry 2. And I, I played Chivalry 1, but not a lot. And then I played a lot of Mordhau. So that's really going to be my reference for this particular kind of like competitive medieval combat silly game where you absolutely must disable general chat and men scream constantly regardless. Um, and I am really, really enjoying it. And, uh, I'm, I want to talk about kind of why it's successful, I think, and, and, and why it's become a really, a really good, just one session, um, sort of, uh, multiplayer action game that nonetheless it makes those sessions feel kind of exciting and rewarding. So like Chivalry or, or, or Maud Howe, this is a game of big European medieval knights smacking each other with big swords and and chopping bits off each other and screaming and yelling and kind of being funny um, with a kind of pretty granular combat system that takes a fair bit of mastery. It is less granular than Mordhau in that, you know, Mordhau allows for um, pretty fine movement of your sword and or or whatever weapon you're wielding and has lots of different kind of fairly organic feeling outcomes for the way those, those things interact with each other. However, it doesn't lose a lot of the granularity that matters, I think. And um, while I would say that I think Chivalry 2 is weaker as a one-on-one dueling game, which is where um, Mordhau shines, it is far more successful as a mass battle game uh, with some real spectacles. So, you know, you um, one of the ways to illustrate the ways that it's less granular is, you know, like the, the interactions, the range of... Um, sort of attacks and kind of moves available to you is fairly broad 
but it's not down to having like an eight pointed star around your cursor that indicates the the, the the direction your sword will move in. Ultimately, you're kind of managing specific combos, um, special attacks, dash attacks, and things for your particular weapons, uh, which whatever you're carrying, uh, mitigated by some of the qualities of the class that you're playing as. Um, and otherwise, things sort of happen within that particular scope. It's a little bit more limited in that regard. But the other thing it does really, really well is I think at some point they figured out how how do we express to the player like exactly what's happened when two blades clash? Like, was this a well-timed block? Was this a riposte? Was this a counter? And so on. And rather than ask you to kind of go through the process of really learning all that stuff, they just tell you as a really good UI that really um, visibly and, and kind of impactfully like tells you when you have blocked successfully. Um, with the word block and occasionally if you do a good counter you'll the timing of the counter will be expressed by whether or not you get white text or gold text when that happens and these things are just little quality of life things that make those duels far more readable and the the your ability to kind of participate in mass combat therefore a lot more manageable and so these these really big mass combats um are uh sort of like it's a 64 player multiplayer game so 32 aside brawls basically um, across kind of objective based maps for the most part with a lot of the same kind of considerations that have been in this genre for a while you're kind of managing a front line um friendly fire is always on but usually at like 25 percent damage so you do need to watch where you're swinging your sword um and the, the the skill and strategy of the game, which it does genuinely have, is this really satisfying, I think, combination of managing yourself in combat in quite granular, very impactful fights that feel like fights, and also paying attention to the overall kind of strategic flow and the various ways you can interact with it. You know, the, each class has various different sort of tools and ultimates and things, but they're fairly straightforward in their applications. Like a banner you can place that will heal in an AoE until it's destroyed you can honk a big horn, which will do a big heal as a one-off thing. You can throw firebombs to like deny areas and things like that. And that stuff all all um, works really, really well and, and feels really, really good. And there's um, they've done a really nice job of like taking things that are becoming sort of staples of the genre and implementing them in interesting ways. So, you know, everyone can keep fighting if they get an arm chopped off for a certain amount of time, but how useful that is depends which arm it was <laughs> because everyone's right-handed. Um, you know, for example, uh, the, the, you can be downed rather than killed, but that's very much to do with the, the kind of blow that, that downed you. And while you're downed, you can still punch, which is extremely funny. You can actually resurrect yourself by punching people in the shins. Um, <laughs> Um, or be resurrected or just be kind of non-ceremoniously decapitated while you're on the floor. And um, it looks and feels really, really good. It feels great, like, and it looks beautiful. And I, I'm, I was really taken with it on that basis. But the thing I think that really brings it together and is the reason that I would recommend it um, is um, it has really, really good maps. And I think this is the area where it really mm. starts to race ahead of Mordhau. Um In that uh, some maps are like Team Deathmatch, but even those ones are good. The others are these massive um, sort of attack, defend, objective maps 
that proceed in stages and there's a little story to each of them it's not really very important or particularly coherent but you know that you'll go through multiple stages of a siege through meaningfully large kind of exciting kind of environments with interesting changes of like strategy and and gameplay at each stage so to give you an example of what i mean by that like a, a, a more straightforward example of this could be a map where it's like initially you know the goal one faction is trying to ostensibly break through a break break a naval fortress that is makes a particular pa like naval passage impossible to ply with ships so it starts with a beach landing and a huge scrap on the beach where one of the teams has to push one of two uh, battering rams up the beach to the the fortress doors and that uh you know um they that is an interesting kind of payload pushing mode essentially but where the twist is only one of the payloads needs to make it which is actually a really good twist to add to payload pushing it's like well if that one's not working we'll push the other one we push both or whatever and there are siege weapons and also there are, you know various ways to to die in funny ways and then the next stage is something else and the next stage is something else which might be um freeing prisoners or it might be burning down particular buildings or it might be destroying a particular door or whatever and occasionally you have fun objectives where the top scoring player on a given team will now have to play a special role like maybe they are the duke that has to avoid being assassinated or they are the prisoner that's been freed that has to be escorted to a boat or something like that and it's constantly playful with these objectives within the scope of a single map which is actually kind of like I've played so many games that do this attack defend thing that's Overwatch or something else. I've not seen another game be this consistently f playful with how those objectives can change within the course of a given game. And um, it works really, really well. And it's sort of, you know, and, and the goal of the defenders in any given case is not to win one of these stages because if they do that, they win the whole map. It's to bleed time in interesting ways. And on top of all of that, the maps are absolutely full of like weird little details. So stuff you can pick up and throw like or eat. If you pick up a fish and press the button to scream, you eat the fish. Um, <laughs> Do you scream while eating it? No, you just open your mouth real wide and, and it goes and you get your health back. And this is a strange interaction you'll only discover by picking up a fish and just well, what happens if I scream? Um, or you could also just chuck it at somebody. Um, you can pick up wagon wheels or like lob heavy rocks down off battlements onto people and, and stuff like that. And this is not necessarily the most efficient way to play, but that level of playfulness is really welcome on top of something that manages, I think, to traverse the level between like quite technical and exciting and strategic and really fucking dumb, but like quite deftly in a way that it all feels very deliberate. And it has some of the like Maud Howe's spectacularly dumb voice acting. And it's definitely like a genre tradition now but it really does have some of that. Like the tutorial, which is pretty good at kind of getting you into this kind of game, also is one of the most strangely voice acted experiences I think I've ever seen. It's hard to replicate. It's a man yelling at full blast, quite granular combat instructions as if he's very far away. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and it shouldn't work and it does. And so, yeah, like it has, it has got problems. So it's an Epic Store game and their integration with Epic's friends list is ropey and therefore playing with your friends is way harder than it should be. And there are some frustrations about like, you know, how easy it is to like switch out the various cosmetics that you might want to play with, but that stuff really doesn't matter that much. It's the first multiplayer game that's come along for a while. That's really like 
grabbed me and i really would recommend it like it's been a really fun distraction like in addition to the team modes there's also just like free for all deathmatch um which i also find really fun it can be deeply frustrating because it's free for all deathmatch which means that your duel with somebody else is just slightly to be en ended when someone 20 yards away overhand yeets a fucking executioner's axe at them and it hits them in the side of the head and they steal your kill but that's part of it and like managing that chaos and kind of coming out on top of it is is really fun so yeah chivalry 2 it's, it's genuinely good it's genuinely good and i think um with a bit more polish i think that's the, the the i think it will become a perennial and i hope it does well because i think it deserves to particularly if, if nothing else for i think their contribution to how to make team fortress or overwatch style attack defend maps consistently interesting and fun I bought that as you were talking about it. <laughs> Damn, that has to be it. Is that a podcast first? Maybe it is. I don't know. I'm sure I don't know. Commission. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we should Sounds play. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think I think you'll really like it. Um, like, there's there's just uh, a lot going for it. Like, really good sense of fun and spectacle and definitely the game that I found myself dropping into for like half an hour over lunchtime recently because... Every single time I play it, something fucking stupid will happen. <laughs> yeah. Um, I like that about the first one as well. So it feels like this is that. I, I'm really interested to hear about those smarter maps, actually, um, especially in the context of like a first person combat game. There is rage yeah. combat, of course. But yeah, I just think that's interesting the way that flow is managed and the way that they keep the objectives cool in that context. Mm. And it allows for something that I hope every game like this manages. It's not obviously a scale with something like Battlefield, but like the good thing about, I don't necessarily think that size is, is, is or, or breadth of the multiplayer experiences is necessarily always a good thing. It's about how many meaningful experiences you can have. And like Chivalry has given me the experiences already of like um, defending a town that's under siege and getting to the point where the um, siege ramps that the enemy is having to push have moved past the point where our ballistas can reliably do much about them but now the enemy has taken our ballistas and have turned them around and are making it harder for us to defend and like running through side streets and climbing and, and sneaking and trying to get through the ballistas to kill the people manning them and then destroy them and then run away feels amazing and it's like this little pocket adventure in the scope of a of a map that feels like i contributed something and then win or lose that was like that was the story of the game for me or like a couple of games ago I just had one of those tears where like I was defending but their enemy pushed their siege tower up to the walls of the fortress that I was supposed to defend that moves them to the next stage of the map but I was still outside it and so the easiest way back inside the fortress for me was up the siege tower that the enemy was themselves using and I just had a really good series of fights and killed every single person inside that siege tower on the way up and it felt a bit like you know the the Lancelot bit in Monty Python, the Holy Grail, just the kind of <laughs> unlikely combo of like, just can't just like next kill, next kill, next kill. And then like emerging on the top of the siege tower, completely covered in blood, but with no enemies left to kill running back into the lines of my own dudes and then turning around to defend just felt fucking rad. And like, I feel like the, the, the success of these games is never on like, just on what was the whole map like to play. It's always on like, what was my story of navigating this battlefield? And I think, that is what I hope to get out of a new Battlefield game, but I'm impressed by how good Chivalry is at evoking it. You can also be decapitated by a buddish a lot. 
and that that means that it is uh, on par with Mordhauen, at least in that regard. Is that all you wanted to say about Bardouches? How dare you? But yes, like, um, <laughs> yeah, I think, um, I think that is all the time we've got in it. It is. Yeah, it is. So. Yeah. All right. Well, if you'd like to send us a question for a future episode of the Creighton Crowbar, where we will return to answering them, you can email us at questions at creightoncrowbar.com. You can also tweet us at Creighton Crowbar, and we might remember to check. We have a Patreon. It's at patreon.com forward slash Creighton Crowbar. Thank you very much to everyone who supports the podcast. On our website at creightoncrowbar.com, you can find not only additional episodes of this podcast, but a link to one but two different discords, one for video games, one um, for plastic model games. If you are cool, then <laughs> you can, this was going well, fuck, uh, then you can enjoy all of the above on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash crate and crowbar, which is also the website where if you type in the right words, you will also be able to see many of the videos discussed on this podcast. Not ones we have made, but no ones where people want to kill chaos. Uh, you find that video by typing, what the fuck is that game called again? Stranger of Paradise Final Fantasy game or, or something. I can't remember what it's called, <laughs> but you should watch that one video and only that one video. It's the last good one. Um, that's it, I think. My name is Chris Thurston. That's who I've been. Who are you, Marsh? I'm... <laughs> well... <laughs> I've been Tom Senior. <laughs> oh, hey. Hey. I haven't. I haven't. I've been Marsh Davis, and I'm really looking forward to Death Stranding Extended <laughs> Million Hour Edition. Uh... Thanks for listening. Oh. <laughs> thanks, for, thanks, for, thanks for friends. Everybody. That's for friends. Everybody. Thanks for friends, everybody, <laughs> especially Graham. <laughs> Sorry.